Hello and welcome to our first uh, cricket podcast in a while uh, for a grass half empty. I'm your host as always, Jasmine Sohail, and with me I've got an old fan favourite from a year and a half ago, uh, Sam McLellan's joining us again. Sam, it's lovely to have you on. Thanks for having me again. It's been a while. And I think it's a grass half empty debut for Mr. George Simmons, um, which Edinburgh Union students will know as the president of the sports union and also Good. the vital, vital... Wasn't actually sorry. He was, he was, what was he? He was club captain. My bad. That's awkward. Um, uh, so yeah, Simon, welcome. How are you, mate? Well, I'm slightly concerned. I've only been gone for what <laughs> a year or so, and you're already forgetting who I am. So hopefully, uh, hopefully over the next hour or so, I can uh, uh, I can gently remind you. Yeah, as actually you were actually a sub simmer, That's why we had someone else lined <laughs> up, and they couldn't make it. Um, no, that's so we well. Just that's talk- okay. Everyone's got to take their chance when it comes, haven't they? Uh, we're just I'll, gonna, uh, I'll, I'll harness my chance. We're gonna chat uh, cricket. There's a lot been going on, and obviously a massive win for England in Chennai. I think Chennai was England's, uh, sorry, India's edge baston, and it was uh, a fortress was broken. So, I think that's the best place to start. And uh, comfortable win in the end. And Sam, what was your kind of takeaway? From the test in general and from more, I guess, from an England point of view? I think the first thing um, is that England notoriously start really badly in, in test series. Um, somehow they always manage to, you know, beat all out really cheaply and, and maybe save the test uh, or, or somehow get the win in the first test and just a really shaky performance. But actually everything about this test was seriously good. Pretty class. I mean, it was near on the perfect performance in India, especially, you know, bat big bat long, bowl them out, bowl well. Um, the spinners, for two spinners who are probably not the the greatest spinners in the world, um, they did pretty well. I, mean, I think they both got four for, um, I don't think any of them got five for, um, but they put the pressure on and it, I, yeah, I just thought it was really impressive and obviously Joe Root, um, what a class player of spin he is. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, I'll get to you in a second, Simmer, but I think you've actually not done how bad they are justice because Don Best and Jack Leach are possibly the most bang average spinners uh, international cricket's ever seen. And somehow they were turning a square, which says a lot about the pitch. Um, well, there's yeah. a... Super, from your point of view... Go on, go on. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, there's a really interesting stat I saw about Don Best that, according to Crickviz, I think he bowls 33 full tosses for every wicket that he takes. <laughs> which, no, that's not which true. For a, which for an international spinner, and bearing in mind he takes a wicket every, I think, 66 balls at the moment. So half of those intervening balls are full tosses. Um, watching him, I don't think it's quite that high. Maybe they uh, they slightly misclassify what a full toss is, but it does kind of... Um, he does bowl up, half volleys. I think you're right there. He does. I mean, watching him, he just bowls half volleys and somehow the batsmen have just like nicks it onto their toe and it's spooned up in the air and stuff. Um, I do. Well, that that test, the test series in Sri Lanka, though, I was going to say, that's possibly the worst five wicket haul I've ever seen yeah. an international bowler take. Like, he reminded me of, like, you know, that bowler you play in, like, village cricket, like the big old 45 year old mm-hmm. just chucking moon balls and he's just, you're just hurling them to deep mid wicket. Like, that's what that reminded me of watching that spell from Don Best. Um, I think but, all the best players get wickets like that, though. Shane Warne, <laughs> it would always be true. his long hop and he. Yeah, somehow... he got 600 wickets by bowling half yeah. crackers. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Simon from your point of view obviously we've had a little, little touch on England we'll deep dive later on what kind of disappointed you from an India point of view um, obviously India 
just came off an unbelievable result in Australia and would probably would have thought this would be, a, I mean, as you said, seeing Jack Leeds and Don Bess in the starting lineup, probably would have thought they would have comfortably won this game. Um, do you think it was a case of Joe Root's innings or was it a case of they just lost a toss and lost the game there and then? That kind of wicket? What, what, what's your take on the Indian side of it? Well, I think it kind of actually harks back to something which um, Sam touched upon, which is kind of the build up into the first test. I think England came off the back of that tour to Sri Lanka and kind of no disrespect to Sri Lanka, but I think India are probably a better side and those Sri Lanka test matches are almost a perfect warm-up, subcontinental pitches, kind of spinning, um, spin-friendly conditions, giving the batsmen a really good run out, whereas India essentially came off the back of a really successful, yes, but a tour in Australia where the pitches are very different, the grounds are very different, the style of cricket you play, the style of bowling that's effective is very, very different. And so I think that's what really kind of stood out for me is the value of those um, those warm-up games, something which has kind of gone out of fashion, actually, in the uh, in the modern game. Yeah, I think you're kind of right, though. Like, that Sri Lanka tour was like a, basically like a perfect warm-up, wasn't it, in the sense that you've got to climatise to the conditions. You're playing essentially... Uh, county side if the team was touring England um, like you play Middlesex or something that's kind of the equivalent I would say Sri Lanka at the moment and it was quite successful too I think England a lot of people performed quite well uh, Dom Sibley would get caught on the mic which is the funniest thing I've heard when he was like do you think you'll open in India I was like I don't know mate I've played pretty poorly this series um, apart from him I think everyone did quite well down there but Sam let's go let's go deep dive into this this England performance so for me watching England looking at this test series test team in general I was quite critical a year and a half ago when they were going into the ashes with their batting lineup because I just didn't think it was sturdy I thought the bowling was very very good obviously you had Rod Anderson archery coming in um but for me now it's kind of flipped I, I, I'll take your take on that I think the batting lineup is quite good quite young I love Sibley and Burns at the top it's the openers they've been crying out for for ages that can just kind of hang in there uh, someone to partner Cook and it takes him to leave and they finally got two guys that can kind of hang about. And I don't know why Sibley gets so much hate for making like 50 of 250 balls. That's literally his job. Like that's, that's what they need. Um, Cause then you've got the two guys, the main guys in the England batting lineup, Stokes and uh, Roots coming in. And I love Ollie Pope, but the bowling side of it, and I've got some stats to back this up. So where with me. Jimmy Anderson, phenomenal this test match. He's one of the best pass, pass bowlers going with the ball swinging, reversing. That spell was incredible. Um, apart from that, that bowling lineup does not like get any fear in any batsman. If you if you look at the team sheet, Don Bess, okay, Jack Leach, okay, and Jofra Archer, I think is still kind of living off those first two test matches against Australia as a test match bowler. Don't get me wrong, he's phenomenal. One day international, T20, incredible bowler. From the test side, especially a two-man pace attack, I feel like he's not quite developed that discipline yet to be able to kind of grind batsmen out when nothing's happening. Um, if you look at his averages, so he's averaging about 33 in test in 12 matches, very small sample size, don't get me wrong, which is okay. But he was averaging 14 in the first two tests. So since then, he's averaging about 40, which is pretty poor for someone whose rate is highly as him. On top of that, his pace has gone nowhere near the 95-mile-an-hour spell we saw in bowl. 
So my point is kind of getting at, do you think it's a concern, especially going to Australia, don't get me wrong, bouncing pitches and stuff, but nothing really happens in Australian pitches. You've got to make your own things. And if he's in a two-man attack, a three-man attack, is, uh, my question is, Sam, is he, is he a certainty? Is he a guy that first, like, he's, in my eyes, he's not first name on the team sheet anymore, in my eyes, as, as a test bowler. But I know a lot of England fans think that he is this guy who is just incredible. And he's, for me, he's not there as a test bowler yet. Yeah, it's interesting. He um, obviously a lot was expected of him after the World Cup and the Ashes was um, he probably didn't do as well as he wanted in terms of the wickets front, and then obviously he didn't bowl as quickly as you said. Um, some games just drew a lot of criticism, rightly or wrongly. Um, with the wickets thing, I think it's tough. He hasn't actually played that regularly. Uh, in and he's been kind of in and out of the team as they've been rotating and doing their. Um, you know, with the bubble and things like that. And it's probably hard to kind of get your feet at the start. I mean, you look at all of England's bowlers, apart from Broad and Anderson, they haven't, I mean, no one's nailed down their, that spot as their third seamer. Like, Wokes is, is class um, at home. His away record has been pretty poor. Um, and he kind of, he's still in and out of the team. When he's fit, people in England are like, yeah, okay, get him in. But he's, they're all very similar. Whereas Archer and someone like Mark Wood offer something completely different. I think Archer will, if he's fit, will definitely play in the first test in the Ashes later in the year. Um, I think he's just, you know, he's got the ability to um, blow teams away like Yorker, quick bouncer, um, bowl long spells. Um, and we haven't seen it yet, but he is actually quite a good batsman. Um, but he's just been really, really bad in, in the test cricket. Um but I, I think it's interesting. I think the bowling unit is is actually pretty strong. I think Jimmy and Broad have just got better with age. Um, I think the team's in a really good place. And I was actually listening to, uh, or I listened to bits of the podcast we did before the Ashes in 2019 um, and just after the World Cup final. And uh, the team we were going to, talking about Denley and Jason Roy opening <laughs> and, and things like that. And Sam Curran, who's not here at the moment, uh, not on India at the moment, sorry. Um, and, and players like that who are kind of, like bit part players. Um, but I think now there's a really strong core. Like Ollie Pope, you mentioned, is a really exciting player. Dan Lawrence hasn't done it since he got 70, but it's just early days and he looks a decent player as well. People talk about him in the kind of KP mould, which I'm yet to see, but I still think he's a good player. <laughs> um, and then Sibley as well. Yeah, Sibley is the fridge. I mean, if you don't, if you don't like that sort of batting, um, then fair enough. But you need one, someone in that team. Like Pujara for India. Like he's that sort of player. I mean, I'd rather watch paint dry than watch Pujara bat. But, um, <laughs> he does a no, job though, right? You need yeah. that. You need that in test cricket. You need someone who can hold yeah. down an end. Because we've I seen saw, what I happens when Root comes in early. Like it's, it's not the same as if you get a guy, him and Stokes, get them 20 overs in rather than three overs in and they can take a game away as we saw. Um, but yeah, sorry, you carry on, Sam. He was going to say something else. No, that's, that's really it. I mean, yeah. I'm sure Simo have some thoughts on that. Yeah, but Simo, I think in a pretty good place. Simo, what's your thoughts on this England lineup as a whole and kind of batting, bowling split right now? I'm, the bowling lineup for me, my point was in this series alone. I think it'll be a really good test for Jofra in India where it's not really Seamer happy. You have to be really accurate. You've got to build the pressure and they will give you the wickets. You're not going to, you're not going to like hoop around corners unless you can reverse swing like Jimmy did. And I've not seen enough of Joffre to know if he's got that in the locker. He probably does. Um, but do you think he needs... This is like a big test for him? Because he's obviously... The, the teams he's played since that Australia game, he's been 
Pakistan at home again. I love Pakistan, but not great. Um, South Africa, not great, and uh, West Indies at home, not great. So this is the first real test for him since knocking out Steve Smith, essentially in at Lords. I think um, I think the kind of Jofra Archer question is quite interesting, but I also think that it really shines a light as well on how England see him as a bowler. I think um, if you're going to ask him to kind of run in and bowl 30 overs in an innings in the subcontinent like they did with Mark Wood, then he's probably not the bowler for that. You'll see that's where his pace is going to drop off. And I think um, where Archer's most effective is in those kind of like three, four over short spells. And we saw it in this um, first test against India. I think he hit um, Ashwin on the gloves. He caused some real difficulties for the um, openers at points. And I think it's that kind of short, sharp spells and trying to um, manage his workload and use him as effectively as possible rather than trying to get him to fill a gap. Um, and I think in, in India or in Asia, that becomes a more difficult thing to manage in terms of the balance of the team if you're trying to pick a second spinner. But um, like Sam said, I think if England are going to win the Ashes in a year's time, then Archer has got to be in that team. Yeah, definitely. And as a third yeah. ball, that's well, it's a three-man attack. I completely agree with you. With Stokes yeah. as well, you have that four-seamer as well. Essentially, can come and do a job for a few overs mm. if required. There's more just in this series where I think I'm assuming it will play two spinners for most of the series if they're playing in India. As a second seamer, it may it may like it may hinder them going forward because the way I look at it is. Um, is uh, if you if if your rules reversed, if Coley was to toss and bats first, that that deck was a flat track for the first day and a half. If India if India put up four fifty five hundred and England are then having to like if if England are bowling first innings essentially, it's a completely different story because you can't rely on Bess and Leach. Let's be real, Jofra would probably would have to bowl twenty thirty overs, and Jimmy would have to bowl twenty thirty overs, and it's a completely different story. And maybe it would be. His accuracy maybe highlights a bit more uh, was kind of where I was coming from. So in a two-man pace attack, seam attack, it might hinder them going forward. Um, but yeah, Sam, do you have something? Yeah, to I was just going to say, um, I was actually thinking about it earlier. I'd be tempted to not play Archer in the second test and play Broad and Jimmy because I think they're obviously looking at rotation. But after Jimmy's performance, I don't know if you got up and watched, um, but Jimmy's spell of reverse swing bowling was unbelievable and I don't think you can drop him when you've gone 1-0 up in the series especially in India because if you're trying to win the test series and get to the world test championship final then I think you've got to play your best um the best bowlers and then so I'd probably play Broad and Jimmy because I think Broad showed in Sri Lanka as well but he's still class um and Stokes has that pace and that kind of extra x factor if you need that pace on a flat deck if you do if India win the toss and bat first um, and then it allows you to play your two spinners. And I'd also probably bring in Moeen and play Jack Leach as well instead of Don Bess. Um, yeah, that's what, what, what I was going to ask both of you guys. What's the situation with, like last time when England were successful in India, when they won the series in 2012, I think, was it? Um, they had the Grimms one, incredible spinner, one of the best England spinners for, for quite a while. Um, do you think that is an area that, they need to get Moeen back. They need to, I don't know what's happened to Adil Rashid because he's been doing quite well when he played a while back in subcontinent, obviously. Um, I don't really follow like county cricket and stuff, so I have no idea what's wrong with him if he's just not performing anymore. But surely those two guys, 
Moeen and Adil or Moeen and maybe one of the Jack Leach and Don Best would do better than just Jack Leach and Don Best. I, this sounds so harsh because they've just won them the test match, but you guys know where I'm coming from. I think uh, I think Adil Rashid is kind of out of the test match picture. He's, again, gone back to that white ball contract with the auction. And so I don't think he's... Uh, any kind of like long-term thinking for England. But I think the Moeen Ali um, question over Don Bess is probably a bit more of an interesting topic. I think on paper, you've got Moeen Ali, who obviously uh, is a very elegant stroke player, scored 100 the last time England um, played in India. Um, but as a left-hander, uh, how effective he'll be with the bat, I, I don't know. And so therefore, for me, um, the question comes down to who do you think is the better bowler out of Bess and Moeen? Um, and looking at kind of Moeen's stats in the last time they played in India, he averages 61 and a half with the ball. And so <laughs> that, that bearing in mind as well, he's not played test match cricket for a year and a bit. I don't think you're going to pick Moeen as the as a strong choice. I feel that's a, an emergency choice and he offers a bit with the bat, but I don't think he offers enough. And as a left-hander playing against Ashwin and players who'd move the ball away from him, I don't think, I don't think that offers any real advantage to Beth. Yeah. Sam, any other takes on those two? Um, not really. I was just thinking, actually, I think Jazz, you've got a bit of an agenda against the spinners and Archer. <laughs> uh, and it, as I said, I was listening to this podcast and uh, that was when you had an agenda against Ben Stokes. And you, had, <laughs> you predicted that he'd have a rubbish ashes and that Moeen would do better than him. Oh, I did. Yeah, I got done on that one. I we did. all know how that turned out. So I'd bring that. I up. mean, I, I also was the only one that in that podcast that said that Australia would retain the Ashes. So hey, I think I got the you last. Said it would be four one to Australia, and you yeah. also said that Australia and India would get to the World Cup final. So <laughs> I, I've got, I've got it all right here. So, <laughs> so I think. What, so Jazz, have you turned your attention away from targeting Ben Stokes because you feel that that's just an idiot Actually, so, argument now, um, and you no, just so, target someone else? No, yeah, I just love picking one guy to hate. But, uh, so <laughs> it's something I wanted to talk to actually about Ben Stokes is and Root when they were batting together. So just your guys' takes on it when they were batting together in that partnership that basically won in the Test match you really saw the difference in style of facing spin because Ashwin is one of the best spinners in the world. Um, and I think Sam's probably going to go on to this later on. Like Root's ability to play spin is kind of ridiculous considering he's not Asian, essentially, in a nice way. Um, and he pays it very elegantly. Like he's a kind of a touch player, waits for the ball to come to him, moves it about. Stokes, on the other hand, is a more volatile kind of, I'm going to hit you out of the ground, take you out of the attack kind of batsman, which is obviously kind of um what's the word i'm looking for is it's not as consistent obviously it comes off or it doesn't and in india do you think that might going forward do you think you might have to rein it in a bit to kind of play those longer innings because look he made 80 don't get me wrong batted beautifully but he also got dropped twice in 30 um do you think that the way roots batted is more how he should kind of or is that just not his style he should just do what he does because you can't question the guys one thing in the world cup and that massive like headingly test um, my point is just kind of on turning wickets with the best bowler in, in the world, essentially, of spin at times, Ashwin. Can you really go after him trying to hit him out of the attack? Because the ball's going to be turning square at times. I think that was a very unique situation. Obviously, Root was flying. 
and Root is a class player of spin, just on his ability to read length and yeah, yeah, yeah. move back. And and he's um, I've got some. I was looking earlier and I saw some things on Twitter saying he's scored nine hundred and seventy-two runs uh, with the sweep shot, be it slog, reverse, <laughs> or the conventional sweep, um, which is sort of three hundred more than anyone. Uh, and that's just all his runs. Um, and you know, in his last six innings, uh, which are for the six of them, all six in Asia, I think, isn't it? Yeah, 2021, yeah. Um, he's averaging 114 with a strike rate of 55. So he's not just bedding in and, and like doing a Sibley and going at 30. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. 30. He's still rotating the strike and almost playing like a one-day innings at time, at times. Um, but in terms of Stokes, I think it's just the difference in ability there, the difference. I mean, Stokes is obviously class, but against the spin, he has his own way of going about it and he will look to use his power rather than his mm-hmm. his natural touch um but i think with i think ashwin didn't have his best game in the first innings um he obviously got six in the second um and i think the difference in the second test will be how well he bowls mm-hmm. india's team wasn't actually great bowling wise their their spinner their two was it two washington Sundar and um the left armor yeah. um, i can't remember what it was called the they, yeah they didn't bowl very well they really right. didn't um and I think I think there's talk of Kuldeep Yadav coming back in. Who's um, actually I think he's a really good bowler. Um, and it'll just be interesting to see the way the team kind of go around it, especially if Root gets out early. Mm-hmm. Um, the way they play, like, like Stokes, and and Stokes we know is very capable of playing the long innings. And I actually think he's a very good player of spin. Um, and if they were to reshape the team at all, I think he could easily bat three in in Asia. Yeah, I think um, that's that's so one one thing that one of my biggest criticisms of him, and we've all laughed about the Ashes one was before that series. I think I always kind of saw Stokes as a a one day kind of what Jason Roy ended up being in the Ashes series, like a, a kind of a one day guy, phenomenal white ball guy, trying to adapt his game to Test cricket, which doesn't really reflect the types. But it's somewhere where he's adapted so well um, as. As I said, he plays those long innings now. He kind of takes his time, picks his areas. And when he gets going, if Stokes gets past 50, 60, 70, you're in serious trouble because he can take a game away. Um, that's what I was kind of getting. I do think he'll do the similar thing in India facing spin where he's, where he's gone like, okay, if this was England, this is Australia, and this is Nathan Lyon, I'm going to hit him out of the park because I know I can. This is Ashwin on a pitch-turning square day four. I need to kind of dig in a bit rather than try and do what I normally do. Simmer. I think um, I think actually Stokes's innings, well, in that first innings, was slightly misrepresentative of how he kind of goes and looks to go about playing spin. If you look at all of the left-handers in that first test, him, Pant, and Washington Zundar, they all essentially went for the more aggressive type of innings because there was quite a lot of rough outside as a left-hander. Yeah, and yes, all yes. of those off-break bowlers were trying to. Uh, essentially caused quite a lot of issue. But I think Ben Stokes is capable of playing whatever type of innings. Yeah. I mean, he's England's best... England want him to. Second best batsman, I'd say. Obviously, him and Root are up there as like two elite guys, mm. the two champion batsmen. Do you think Root is better than Stokes as a batsman now? Because obviously, over the last before 2021, over the last year, 18 months, Root was averaging 37 or something. And Stokes last year was definitely so England. But I, I think has always Root has always been yeah. England's best batsman. So it depends what you want. So if it was a moment where you need someone to go and win the game, I'd pick Stokes because he's got that in him where he could take a game and win it for you. He's done it a few times. If it's over a series, 
and you want someone, I'd pick Root as my best batsman because I think he has way more, just his batting style is way more consistent. So Root might get you 570s, um, Stokes might get you 220 and then a few 20s here and there, if that makes sense. So um, that's the way I look at those two. But uh, they're they're basically anchoring this batting lineup now and I think they're incredible. Just quickly on India, um, so a few things uh, from India's batting lineup. I thought their opener is a gill. He, I, th- I thought he looked incredible. Um, just looked so calm, so collective. Some of the shots he was playing were ridiculous. Um, but what's what's going on? What's going on with that middle order? Like, Simon, what's going on, mate? How can they not handle the, the guys who've born up, brought up on these pitches, and they can't handle a bit of English spin? Well, I think. Um... <laughs> I think I think that's slightly unfair. Bearing in mind, well, in that second innings, you had one of the best overs ever seen from James Anderson. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Two of them. That's true. And then, uh, to be fair, Washington Sundar got a really nice ball from um, from Don Bess, and Leachy bowled an absolute jaffer to get rid of <laughs> Rohit Sharma early on, uh, oh, late on on day four. So I think. I think it, all of each of those uh, kind yeah. of top seven have scored enough runs now that you kind of got to go. Yeah, it's, 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 I just asked it, have got to back yeah. him. It's just it's just one of those things that I just ask because we have to talk about India, but but like it's recency bias, isn't it? It's like oh they <laughs> they can't bat, but we'll yeah. be talking again in about two weeks time when they've made about <laughs> seven hundred in the next two tests. Yeah, um, Kohli scored three hundred and fifty <laughs> not out with <laughs> Rahani at the other end retiring on two nine five. Exactly. Um, we're kind of going to move on quickly. Um, to the, we've got a lot to talk about. Um, how do you see the series ending though for you guys? Two tests to go, Sammy. Are, are they bringing it home? Um, well, I was looking actually at what each because there's World Test Championship obviously, and yeah. what team need to get to the final because obviously New Zealand have got to the final already. Um. And India need to win 3-1 or 2-1 uh, now. Uh, and England need to win 3-1, 3-0 or 4-0. So in- England have to win the next test, really, I think. Um, they have to uh, They have to do win the next test. Do you think, yeah. will, will um, they though, Sammy? That's the question. Do, you think- um, do I think they win the next test? It'll be interesting to see what the pitch is like because there was a lot of talk from the Indian camp about um, the pitch being rubbish and the ball being slightly rubbish as well. Um, I don't know if that was just because Rue got 200 and made them look silly. But I think I do think England will actually win. Um, I, I think they're, they're, they're a really settled team. They know how to win. They've, they've won their last three tests in Asia. I mean, India are a class side, and a lot will depend on Kohli and Ashwin, I think. Um, if they turn up, Ashwin could easily um, put the pressure on. Uh, and if they get Joe Reed out early, that might. We'll see. Um, and the other thing to consider as well is the rotation of England, like Bartler going home now. Um, which I think is fair for him. Obviously, you, you've got to support that. But I, I think I, if it was me, I'd want to be out there for maybe at least another test. To you know, you're beating India in India is huge. Like that's that's up there with the Ashes for England. I mean, Definitely. that is massive. So, I mean, I mean, Bairstow as well. He's coming back, and I think uh, after the, in the third test, I think um, he's a great player of spin. So it would just be interesting to see. I think it's going to be really good next three test matches. I'm fans are back next test as well. Yeah. Simo, what's, what's your take, mate? Where, is, it, is it an England 4-0 whitewash? Uh, I would love to say <laughs> yes, but I think I think it will probably be one all going into the last test. I think, I think actually England's best chance of 
getting another win is going to be in that third test, which is a day-nighter up in Armabad. I think uh, hopefully Jimmy will be fit and firing. We'll see another couple of overs like we saw. Um, maybe even a Jimmy broad double act with a nice swinging pink ball. That's, that's what I'm dreaming of at this point. And I think the test, because it starts a bit later for us in the UK, I might just have to set up a little cheeky second screen while, uh, while I'm <laughs> going about my daily work and just keep an eye we on it. We should do a case. live podcast, Jack. <laughs> a live podcast. Shall we do a watch-along? Let's do a watch-along. Yeah, along. watch-along. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, <laughs> yeah, it'll just be just, it'll, it'll be zero viewers, but why not? Um, let's move on quickly. We'll guys. be entertained. That's yeah, all that matters. Um, let's move on to... Uh, Pakistan South Africa is just happening obviously I'm interested in this series as well because uh, support Pakistan and uh, Pakistan have won this kind of comfortably in the end 2-0 series win at home and so my first question to you is how big an advantage is this that Pakistan finally get to play games at home obviously it's been about 10-11 years since they've been able to do that in the UAE it's just not the same and since they've been home I think they've not lost and like, it's the equivalent of if England were told that they've got to play all their home games in, I don't know, like Miami for some bizarre reason. Like, it's the same as that. Um, so, yeah, what's, what's your take on that to start with? Uh, and then any thoughts on the Test Series in general? I think it's a huge, uh, a huge kind of emotional thing. I was really interested to see kind of how those first couple of Test matches would get underway because for especially some of the younger guys... Um, if they've not played a home test match in 10 years, that's all the kind of childhood growing up, getting into test match cricket, and they've not really been able to directly engage with it because it's not been happening in their in their back garden or in, in, in their country. And so I think that's a huge, um, a huge psychological and emotional boost, especially since they've kind of had that early success. Um, and I really, I really enjoyed actually kind of keeping an eye and watching that series. It was the final day in, uh, in that second test match, which I think got everyone really excited. We'd had the, we'd had the famous West Indies win, yeah, I think true. earlier that morning. And then it looked like, uh, it looked like South Africa were going to chase down, what was it? Three, nine, five in that yeah, second innings. And, yeah. Was, I mean, were 240 for four, I think, or something like yeah. that. It was, it was, it was, it was, back, uh, I woke up and it was like two, Two thirty for three or something. Markram was sending it everywhere, yeah, and then just yeah. I mean, we'll get onto South Africa in a bit. Um, but Pakistan have been quite a poor side of the past six seven years, I'd say, Sam. But they've kind of got rid of that old guard and this like new young team that's coming through. And obviously, you got a glimpse of them when they came to England. Um, drew two test matches, but competed very well with England. And the last one, I think England ended up just edging. It wasn't a, it wasn't a pumping. It was a quite close test match. And a few things went the other way. Pakistan could have probably, and probably should have won it because I remember they bottled in their second innings batting. Um, do you think they could kind of, look, we've got the big four essentially in test cricket right now. You've got India, England, Australia, and New Zealand. And then you've got a bit of a gap to all these teams that used to be class. And they're kind of, kind of, going through, I guess, a period where obviously they're not making as much money as the big four and uh, maybe lack of talent and facilities, like Sri Lanka have gone massive downturn, West Indies. Um, do you think Pakistan could kind of, in the next couple of years, depending on how this group develops, could 
not break in, but can compete with those teams on a regular basis because those four are really strong right now. I hope so. Um, I remember kind of in the period of like 2005 to 2010 where West Indies, um, South Africa, Sri Lanka, Pakistan all had these great like world-class players um, who everyone would know. You know, you're like your um, Eunice Khans, your Shandapals, your Jack Callis, your Sangakaras. Um, and it was great that they had eight sort of huge test nations and every test series was really exciting. Um, Pakistan at the moment, I'd say their most exciting kind of aspect of the, their team is their bowling. Um, they've got some really good young fast bowlers. Um, and then obviously the star in Babur Azam, who's class and you're know, up there with the Fab Four and if they're, if they're like to be talked about like that. Um, so I think it's just whether they can get rid of the background noise. I mean, I have uh, saw, saw quite a lot about Mohammed Amir and how he's left the, the scene um, and isn't too happy with how things are being run and things like that. And I don't know if he's just a difficult character. Obviously, he's got history of being... Obviously, he's got history, hasn't he? Not, not the best character, <laughs> but um, he's young, so forgive him. But um, I think, yeah, I, I hope uh, that Pakistan and, and South Africa, I think South Africa are in much more of a worse... I mean, they're in a pretty bad situation. I think the cock is not a great captain. And I think they should kind of um, follow Pakistan's lead in, in trying to rebuild with, with youth. Um, they're kind of still relying on... Duplessis and, and Dukok as well, but I mean, he's not really a test player. They've, they've got a lot of things to figure out. Um, but And West Indies actually as well are a good model. They've, they've kind of got a really young team and, and they're going to try and, and rebuild. And Carl Mathis, is it Carl Mathis? He's on debut, I think, um, and scored that 200, which is ridiculous. And that just gives <laughs> such a good feel, feel good factor. And it's huge for Pakistan winning 2 0 as well. I think that will do them such, I mean, that will do them great confidence and, and hopefully they can move on. Yeah, I think the the thing with the team, like I've watched watched them for the past year and a half, and it's been the bullying, especially when they came to England. It was uh, bullying was the strong point, and every, like there's no like two ways about it. You've got a big fast left-hander who's a, allegedly twenty. I don't really believe him. <laughs> and then really old, you've got yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you got you got sixteen, seventeen-year-old bowling really quickly as well. And Hassan Ali just had a phenomenal series. Mm-hmm. Um, against South Africa and I think he kind of took that game away from them in the end when they collapsed um, and so the pace attack it, I think it's up there with some of the best in the world for me but where they lack and they have for a while is the batting lineup and it's always been the case of kind of what England had a, a year and a half ago when Cook retired it's like you just don't have, have those openers and then they go early yeah. and you're in a bit of trouble Azar Ali I, I don't know what you're still doing in the test side like I'm not a fan of his he needs to just get, he's the last of the old guard left. I just needs to leave. Um, and I know what you said about Babar Azam. And, and see, I, I don't just have an agenda against English players. Similar. This is also <laughs> against Pakistani players at times. Um, I think he's kind of similar. My criticism for him is similar to what I had for Stokes in a sense that he's a guy who's made his name in white ball cricket and he's been incredible in white ball cricket. And I think a few of the times he's got out in test matches is because he's not quite got that patience in him just yet where he's trying to flash at some and getting nicks and stuff. So as my dad said, he's, he calls him a selfish player. He's like, he gets to 50, gets his average and gets out. Um, and I, I'm, I'm sure he's not, well, that's not why you have his bats, but it does seem that way where he keeps getting, getting starts and then giving it away. And to become one of the elite guys, to be Williamson 
Steve Smith, Coley. I'm not going to put Root in that, oh, Sam. I know you want me to. Yeah, no, I'm not putting Root in that. You've got to be turning those into big, big hundreds. Um, and that's for me is where you kind of lack some. Well, I'm surprised you're so critical actually of Azar Ali and his role in the team, because <laughs> I d- he was I don't he, like what, him he was he was personally. captain for for a couple of years, and I'm a big Somerset fan, and I've heard kind of nothing but good things about what he kind of brings to the wider group. Let, I mean, he didn't admittedly score many runs for us. Baba Azam, on the other hand, scored a shed loads of runs, especially in T20 cricket, but. Um, I think Azar Ali, does he not bring a bit of a bit of tactical now, a bit of calm, a bit of uh, order to that kind of top innings to the Pakistan group? And the ability is um, hundreds as well. He's, he's averaging mid forties, I imagine, isn't he? I don't know. It's, for him, for me, his captaincy wasn't great when he was captain of Pakistan. A lot, and it might not have been his fault. Don't get me wrong. There's Pakistan is one of those countries where there's a lot, lot of stuff going on in the background. Um, so maybe I'm being a bit harsh on him, um, but I think to move on from just that era in general is probably the best thing, and they've kind of done that. Getting rid of Sarfraz was one of the biggest and best things they've ever done because Mohamed Rizvan's come in and he's been incredible with the bat and with the gloves. And I'd say if you look at the Pakistan batting lineup, uh, you go Babar Azam and Rizwan, and that's it really. Those are the two guys that are performing at a decent level, and they're quite young and they're they're doing quite well. Um, with South Africa, I don't understand how Decox capped. I do. I just don't get it. Like, he's again, he's a great white ball player, but he's not. He's he's not. He shouldn't be in the team to start with. Never mind. <laughs> never mind. Be captain. He, I'm not. No. He just he doesn't sound. Maybe it's because it's in, in English when I've heard him, but he doesn't sound like a leader or inspiring. He sounds like he's half asleep, and, and he he's kind of got that. I don't know. Maybe maybe he's he's all right. He, I mean, I think white, white ball cricket's a different story. He's class batsman, and I think he can be a captain there. But he's temporary captain now. I don't think they've even given him the permanent position. Um, and you know they've got Jack Callis, uh, not, not Jack Callis, sorry, um, Graham Smith running his director of cricket there, and, and they're clearly trying to rebuild it and trying to do things the right way with that kind of those legends of the game, Mark Boucher's coach and things like that. And I think Jack Callis, after he's done with England, is going back to South Africa. Um, I think they just need to find a, a young captain, you know, figure out the way they want to play and, and go about it. Because when a, there's a good South African side, there's there's not much better to watch. I think, you know, big, fast bowlers and, and seriously quality batsmen as well. And it's a great place to tour. Um, so I think that it'd be exciting to watch a, a, a good South African team yeah. in my book. Well, well, a question for both of you before we move on. Um, in, let's say, five years' time, which one of the so-called non-Big Four teams do you see kind of getting out of this rut um, in the best way? I don't just say Pakistan because I'm here. Like, What do you honestly think with West Indies, Sri Lanka, South Africa, Pakistan, even like the likes of Bangladesh, like all these kind of smaller teams? Simo, I'll give you this first go while Sam has a little think. Uh, Pakistan, I think, for me. I think... Um... We kind of touched on it about them returning back to play in Pakistan. And I think that emotional connection is going to be really crucial in kind of helping to bring through that young crop. And there really is this kind of like young, exciting crop of Pakistani cricketers. And um, we're seeing some kind of stability coming in the boardroom and kind of in the kind of management of the team. Um, 
and so I think it's Pakistan for me, which are, are going to be the ones to be and um, be challenging the the big three or four. Sammy, yeah, same for me. I think um, same points as Simo. I'd like to see South Africa back. I'd also like to see West Indies, um, just because they always they always bring some flair, don't they? Um, but I think there are a lot of issues in the West Indies um, in the background. Yeah, one of them, one of them being England stealing all their good players. <laughs> <laughs> nah, nah, that's not too much. <laughs> but I, I, I think Sri Lanka as well. They're, they're struggling quite a lot. And, um, Sri Lanka really poor, really poor. Yeah, they are really poor. Um, I, I think South Africa and Pakistan have the best, the best chance. Yeah. Um, so before we move on to the bit section, I've got to get your guys' takes on what's going on in Australia. Obviously. Obviously, Ashes series later on, and that's you can say whatever you want about different test series, and that's the biggest, that's the best one. Everyone watches it worldwide, um, mm. and they seem to be they've gone from a year ago being in this like happy place, got a documentary out, retained the Ashes, Langer's walking, loving life, you know, kicking bins in the changing room, <laughs> and to now where it just seems to have kind of got a bit pear shaped, lost the home obviously series to India. What what have you kind of similar made of uh, made of Australia in general and Tim Payne maybe as captain again as I'm not really sure how he's still captain but um... I think um, I think that Steve Smith and Labashain actually papered over quite a few Australian cracks last summer in England I think they both kind of scored shed loads of runs which covered up. Um, other failings in the team and the India series where neither of them had quite the kind of series that they were hoping for um, those issues kind of came to the fore of um, the accusations and actually it did kind of come through in the documentary and I'm surprised it didn't pick up kind of more um, mainstream in the media but just how some of the uh, attitudes and emotions in that Australian team weren't too different to um, what they had been before the before the sandpaper scandal. I think Tim Payne does deserve some credit as captain and I do think I think you've kind of they backed him so far and he's has had a lot of success retaining the ashes in England which hadn't been done in almost 20 years prior um, prior to 2019. Um, but I do think it is quite an interesting, um, interesting probably year for them as a group to see what's going to come next for Australian cricket. Are they going to kind of maintain the idea that that they are this now more good natured, easy to get on with um, Australian cricket team, or are they going to actually say, okay, we probably still have a little bit further to go to um, to really get that status and and really live up to what we're what we're saying i mean they still have sam they still have obviously one of probably the best building attack going at uh, pace bowlers anyway um and labashin and smith are two of the top six batsmen in the world i'd say um so they've got a lot going for them is my point but uh, do you think there's this is kind of coming out of quite a bad time for them. But obviously there's like this stuff in the news about Langer's, the way he's like dealing with stuff and his kind of his way of going about stuff. I think he's quite an emotional guy and he lets people know when, when they fuck up. I think that scene from the test where I think um, 
what's the opener uh, pinched in review and he came in he's like why did you not review and everyone just left the changing room because they were like oh god he's gonna kick off um yeah but so do you think language kind of the issue do you think they'll kind of move past this and be ready for the ashes because you've got to be ready for the ashes right like you can't not yeah the ashes is going to be huge obviously i think there's i mean england should go there full of confidence um especially if they get a decent result in india they're building the team with the young players who were meant to probably get another sort of 10, 12 tests maybe um, in the, under their belts before going down to Australia. Um, I think Payne's under pressure. Langer's under pressure. Um, Payne, I probably touched more on this in my debate section, but he hasn't scored the runs needed probably for where he bats in the team. Um, I think he has... I mean, he got the job, obviously, a horrible time, and there was probably no one else. I mean, I doubt two months before that anyone would have been talking about him. Um, so he's probably slightly fortunate of that situation to be where he is, but I do think he did really well. And I think the documentary, obviously, it was a bit of you know propaganda. It was meant to show them in a good light. But I thought it, I did have a bit, a bit more respect for him and, and take to a new level. But in the India series, I kind of lost it all. I just thought they were... <laughs> Nasty um, again, and nothing much had changed. Um, I mean, did you make much of that thing with Smith, Steve Smith, to getting his like, like people made a big deal about him uh, right. getting? No. Oh, yeah, no, that was, I thought like, that was ridiculous. Um, I didn't think there was anything in that. There was nothing um, in that, but like Payne's comments were quite funny. They caught on the stump mic. Can't wait to get into the whacker. <laughs> when he wasn't going against him, he turned really, really nasty. Um, and there were a lot of things apparently that weren't picked up on stump mic, and you could hear the commentators telling them to turn the stunt mic down and things like that um, mm-hmm. on various clips going around on social media um, and I just think there's there is a there's going to be really interesting um, when we do go down to Australia in um, eight months time or ten months time whenever it is I think it starts in December isn't it? yeah it's um, always December isn't it so it is it is going to be a really good series and it'd be interesting to see if if Payne and um, is still in charge and whether Steve Smith takes the reins back if he ever will take the reins back um, but yeah, Payne is an interesting one. Uh, there's a lot of debate on his position um, as a batsman, as a captain. He's clearly the best keeper in the country, but I don't know mm-hmm. that. Yeah, a lot of questions. I think the Steve Smith Ferrari, especially kind of on social media and in the media, really shows how poorly perceived the Australian cricket team still is. I think mm-hmm. if they'd kind of followed this if they'd really had spent a year and a half or two and a half years, I think it was, um, since the sandpaper scandal, playing positively, treating everyone with respect and being this really nice ecosystem team, which they claim to be in the documentary and kind of publicly, then I don't think it would have had that reaction. Whereas I think the reaction and the criticism was a symptom of a team which is still not, truly liked in world cricket or even truly liked by kind of the wider Australian um, wider Australian press um, there was actually a kind of quite similar example in golf last weekend with um, Patrick Reed yeah. and Rory McIlroy both taking a drop because of a plugged ball and um, Patrick Reed was criticised <laughs> by everyone on social media and Rory McIlroy was cut some slack and that's just because of how both players were perceived in the world of golf. And I think yeah. that's what's come to bite Australia. 
I mean, yeah, Patrick Reed shushing the European crowd probably didn't help in the Ryder Cup in his debut after making a part and then probably lost the tie as well, which didn't help. Um, was, um, we're going to move on to debate stuff, but just a, a touch on the ashes coming up from you guys. Do you think it's going to be... It, it's going to be closer than previous Australia trips, let's put it that way. Um, but there is still a case of three phenomenal fast bowlers, two phenomenal batsmen. Do you think England have... I'm going to ask a percentage, Simo. What percentage chance do you get give them to bring the Ashes back home? If Joe Root scores as many runs as Steve Smith does, then England will win. Ooh, nice. But you didn't give me a percentage. <laughs> well, if, if, if Joe Root scores as many runs as Smith, then it's a 100% chance that England will win. Okay. Is that good enough? <laughs> yeah, Sam... I think if they have a fit team, I mean, last time we went down to Australia, we didn't have Ben Stokes for a number of reasons. And this year, I think with team building um, and the way things are currently, obviously a lot can change in a year. I mean, Australia could hit the form of their life and Marcus Harris could suddenly turn into... (laughs) Um, But I give England... uh, I think it's probably 50-50, which is is a better um, percentage than you could probably hope for most times going down under. and, and I think, yeah, Stokes, Archer, Root, um, people, young players like Crawley, um, yeah. Burns, Sibley, they're not young, but they're, you know, they're there. They're solid. Ollie Pope, young player. Um, you know, if we have a fit Mark Wood, a fit Archer, uh, if Jimmy's still going, if Broad's still going, I think really with that team, we should have no excuse to not. I mean, if Australia play out their skin, fair enough, but I think it will be, I hope England will, will do it. I think Australia actually will be um, will be a little bit nervous because with the South Africa series just being cancelled, I don't think they've got another test match uh, scheduled until the Ashes in a year's time. Oh, really? And we saw we saw in that India series, uh, Will Pekovsky came in um, and Cameron Green came in, kind of two much vaunted youngsters. It'll be interesting to see if they. Mm can go straight in into an Ashes series and, and score. Class. I don't know if you saw him, but I thought he looked really good. Looked uh, I, I don't want to think about that. There's nothing about that. We've got a year to worry about have it. Such a rubbish opener with Warner, though. And Warner's, you know, Broad's in Broad's pocket. So <laughs> and actually, Jazz, that's another thing. Um, we talked about the last one about who would have the highest opening partnership. Oh, yeah, we team. did. Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. Roy and Denley, was it? Or Roy and Burns? It was Roy and Burns and it was uh, it was and, Warner and Finch. And you, you said Australia are obviously going to have a higher opening partnership, but because Warner was rubbish, <laughs> they only averaged about four. Yeah. And, think, and with Roy was rubbish, I think England averaged about 12. But <laughs> yeah, that was such a abysmal showing of uh, opening <laughs> opening bats so open, yeah, yeah it was dreadful um, no, it was really good chat boys and obviously uh, all, a lot can change in a few weeks when England get pumped by India three times so um, we'll, we'll see how it all pans out but obviously it's, it's very positive right now and I kind of agree with you guys and I think England's team I think they're going in the right direction especially batting wise uh, it's a nice young team building um, and yeah, I love that, Sam. Um, we've got to go move on to the debate section. So for everyone that's listening for the first time, debate session, we just kind of talk about topics that we think might be contentious. A guy makes a, um, a claim of one thing, gets a minute, minute and a half to make the case, and then the other two kind of have a go at him. Either agree or disagree, and yeah, we go from there. So 
George, you can have the similar. You can have the first go uh, with your topic. Introduce it and whatever your take is on it. Is this is this the like beginners uh, the beginners challenge? I get fake yeah, lines first. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, 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 exactly. No, uh, no holding back. See, I'm quite confident actually about my uh, about my debate topic. I think it's I think it's the way to go. So I think that uh, the men's game and more. Uh, specifically kind of those bilateral series can take a leaf out of the women's game and what they did with the women's ashes which is essentially a sign of value to test matches to one day matches and to t20 matches and kind of have an overall series winner and I don't think it works quite so well for things like the ashes or England India where the ODIs the t20s the test matches all kind of have interest in um intrigue around them but especially for things like uh, Pakistan, South Africa and kind of those second tier of test match nations um, I think it will add a real element of interest and intrigue um, there was a quite a startling interview with the um, chief of South African cricket um, and they essentially said that um, the only test match series where they'll ever make any money is when India when England or when Australia come to tour and that anyone else coming um, actually costs the cricket ball money. And so if we want test match cricket to survive, we need to think of quite radical solutions to try and um, get that money and get that interest in both in the domestic markets and in the international markets. Um, and I think if we tie those standalone ODIs, those standalone T20s, which are often dismissed as essentially being a bit of a cash cow or as a bit of a waste of time for everyone involved and kind can kind of tie those into the test matches um, into one easily digestible package where there's value on each game um, and on each player's performance in each game I think that world cricket would be um, in a much stronger position for it. Um, Sam do you want to have a go? Okay. Yeah, well, you can, you can decide where you stand on it. I, I, I'm still, I'm still making my mind. Um, yeah, so am I. Kind of, I, I never really thought about that. I guess my instant response would be, with the World Test Championship and things like that, still happen. You'd still get points for a Test win, and obviously, if you win the Test series, um, that's still a big part of it. I, I guess it could work. Um, would it make it more interesting? Maybe on a on a dead rubber in a test match, yeah, I guess in the long run. But um, in like this, in terms of individual series, but I don't know. I don't I don't see it happening actually. Maybe that's very. I, well, yeah, my, my my point is kind of coming from an angle of you know how we have the Ashes as like a stand out series that is just based off five match series has been historical. And there's lots of countries have like these series with like they play for a trophy. It's like obviously it's not as prestigious as the Ashes, but I think the West Indies England one's called the Wisdom Trophy or something like that. Um, I know Pakistan have one. Australia, India, border Gavaskar. Yeah, yeah. So with all those things, I think they kind of for to those teams and stuff. I think it means those trophies mean a lot to them to those boards. And my problem with this bilateral thing would be that those uh, trophies are for the test series they're not it doesn't matter what you do in the one days or the season because to the to everyone to the purest cricket fans test cricket is 
the pinnacle of cricket. That's what you're that it tests you essentially. And I don't know how I don't know how boards would react if you said, Oh yeah, you beat us in two of the three tests, but we pumped you in the one day, so we're taking the wisdom trophy home. Does that, if that makes sense. I don't think I don't think that my idea of kind of Reese restructuring the point system needs to change those test match series for example so you've got border gavaska india against australia and say australia win three of the four test matches they can keep the trophy but then it also adds a lot of value onto those odi and those t20 matches i mean you two are both pretty big cricket fans i would suggest but can you remember what happened in the england against pakistan t20s and odis last year no, I think no, no. I think I, I think, think England. I think England won two one. I may be wrong. Well, I feel like Pakistan won the last one, but England won the series before Pakistan won a game. I think I think the first one was rained off. Oh, but I think the whole the whole oh. point is is if we as cricket fans aren't engaging with those ODIs and T twenties, then a what's the point in having them? Which is something which has been asked for fifteen years, <laughs> but. It are still going to happen and I don't think we can change that and so therefore actually we need to find a way of engaging both already existing cricket fans which is I think us three and many of the people listening to this um, but also engaging the kind of peripheral cricket fans and I think if you could say this I, I don't know Pakistan South Africa comes down to the final T20 which is happening on Friday night then that suddenly puts a real value to it. Or it's been a toss and turned series between um, Pakistan and South Africa. Pakistan won the two test matches. De Kock really stood up and won the ODIs for South Africa. And so it comes down to the T20s. I think that I think that will add a, an extra element and, and I think it could only be a good thing. I hear what you're saying. I actually uh, kind of agree. I think you may have slightly converted me. Well, not converted me. Doesn't have a negative view of it, but um, it'd be interesting to see in something like England Australia, where the Ashes in the Test match series. Say if England won the Ashes, and then Australia hammered us in the ODI series and the T20, and won the overall series. What kind of um, impact that would have, and and how people from the outside would view it? Would they view that as a success for Australia, even though they lost the Test series, which is regarded as the pinnacle? So a lot of interesting connotations and. Yeah, that's that's kind of where I was going to go with yeah. that. Is like, does it does it kind of take away from the actual? Test I do series? agree because then. Sorry. I agree with you. What you would, yeah, I agree with what you're trying to say. But I also think. But about, my, oh no, are you still going? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was just. Gonna, I, I'll, I'll let you go in a second time. But yeah, but my, well, my point was just the case of it can maybe put a bit more onus on those 2020 games and stuff. But I feel like big, I know this test world championship things happening, and uh, look, it's a nice idea. But I think we'll all probably agree that it's probably not at the same level as, let's say, the World Cup in the One Day International. Um, it's it's a nice thing to be playing for. But if you offered England winning the Test World Championship or winning the Ashes, they'd want to win the Ashes all day long. Um, so I think I like about the Test is like every series is like its own mini World Cup. You're playing and it's just there. Then you against the team, five games, winner takes all, and. One days and T20s are kind of just to make make their trip worth it, essentially, afterwards. Um, whereas the reason why these things happen is kind of you're building towards the World Cup, and that's the pinnacle of that format of the game. 
So T20s and one days, that's the pinnacle. You're working towards the T20 World Cup. You're working towards the one day World Cup. For test matches, I think you take a lot away from them if you put them in this sort of format because, as you said, okay, yeah, we won the test series 3-1, but we got absolutely pumped in the one days. So we lost the series, but we didn't lose the series. We won the test, if that makes sense. Like, I like the I, the way it is just now because it puts when a test series is happening, it's just those five matches and it's the pinnacle of the sport in a sense and of that format. It's just each series is its own little mini World Cup essentially when you're playing against a nation. Do you think that I think all all the uh, noise coming out of kind of the cricket boards? Um, of the likes of Sri Lanka, the likes of Bangladesh in the West Indies and South Africa is that test match cricket just isn't working for them at the moment unless they are playing India, Australia or England. And so I I would love, like, I love cricket. And so (laughs) I, I would love just to leave cricket and I will watch a test match because there's a test match to watch. But at the moment, it doesn't chime with the way that people are living their lives. And I think that I've obviously come up yeah. with the idea, so I'm obviously quite yeah, yeah, yeah. biased, but yeah, I, think but, it's, uh, I think it's a nice way of providing a relevance to all forms of cricket as one package rather than seeing them separate and seeing the IPL as, as a huge money-making scheme and international cricket almost as a secondary to that. It, I think it's a way of, of knitting it all together. Sam, any thoughts? Final thoughts? Yeah, just, um, I was going to say, and kind of ties in with that, so I guess, is you'd have, a lot of the time you see with England, the the T20 series, they kind of just, the big players don't play in it. Um, you, I mean, the last time we saw Archer in a, in a white ball shirt, I, mean, I think, uh, was it Pakistan series? This uh, last summer was the first time he'd played since the World Cup in the white ball team, I think, or something like that. And you don't see Archer, Stokes, um, Morgan, Butler, uh, Root, maybe not, not so much in the 2020, but the one-day team, all playing together. You always have kind of your Billings, your Livingstons, your Denleys, your um, yeah. you know, sort of players who, who maybe, well, they're good cricketers, obviously, uh, and they all have some seriously good talent. Um, but they're not, they're not the kind of big names who, who get the fans watching, who get bums on seats. So you with the with Simo's idea and with this points thing, you would have to consider playing these bigger players more. Um, and then comes the question of, of rotation and resting players and stuff. But but you would probably get the big names more, and it would make for more exciting viewing. You, you can see Root in a Test match, then you can see Root in an ODI or Butler in a Test match, and then you you're getting fifty off one hundred and fifty balls to save a draw to get two points or however many it is, and then and you see him whack a hundred off thirty balls. And you're like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I've seen you know yeah him in two completely different mindsets which is for the proper fans is something that is like really special to watch yeah. and for young kids as well um getting into the game they probably don't start watching test cricket they start watching 2020 and if England aren't putting out their best team um they might yeah. be like well I want to see you know I go back to the days with Kevin Peace every game he was playing you would watch yeah. every game Butler's playing Stokes is playing you'll watch so I think that would help um, if there was more importance placed on these 2020s and, and one day. So, I, yeah, I, I'm a convert, Simo. You've got me. I think that's a really interesting debate topic, Simo. And uh, look, there's fours and against. And whether it'll ever happen, I don't know. But 
it's a nice little idea to try and make cricket more making all aspects of cricket more interesting um let's kind of move on now to sam your debate question it's quite interesting one actually so i'll let you introduce it and where you stand on it yeah so it was just um i was trying to think come up with something and i was thinking recently actually with butler going home from the india series and folks coming in and there was a lot of chat about should folks play in Sri Lanka? Why isn't he playing? Should Butler play as a specialist batsman? Um, so I kind of just thought I'd ask the question, do you think it's more important to have a wicketkeeper who is um, predominantly a batsman who can keep as well? Someone in the mould of a bear, still Butler in their early career, um, you know, who were, who were a batsman really in the team. They were there for their batting. Um, or do you think having a keeper who is a specialist keeper, um, your Ben folks, your Tim Paynes, um, India rid of in Saha is a much better keeper than Pant. Pant's had a few issues behind the stumps um, and has been not picked a lot of the time because his keeping hasn't been seen to be up to standard, um, especially when India play at home with, with the spinning ball, obviously, I mean, bragging around corners. Um, and I think I was just thinking my point of view is yes, they should be a, like, ideally a better batsman and they can work on their keeping. Um, you take Butler as a point uh, example, his keeping has been unreal this series and in Sri Lanka it was really good um when we taught when England toured Sri Lanka uh was it a couple of years ago last year I can't remember um and folks was keeping he was brilliant and he is um kind of widely known as the best keeper in England um but having someone like Butler having someone like Pant in your team who can just change the game and who are better batsmen uh I think in the current the current way that cricket's being played um, a lot of games are being decided by which tail bats better and who can marshal the tail better. Um, can you have a keeper who can score a hundred um, or, or bat really well with the tail? And he's not just, you know, at batting at seven and is he's going to get out. He's going to be out, get out cheaply. Can you extend your batting lineup as long as possible? Um, and in the absence of a really good all-rounder in the team as well, I think it's especially important. So, yeah, far so away. I don't think it's particularly controversial either. I think it's just a really interesting question. Yeah, um, yeah definitely. With the England-India series and Ben Folks uh, mainly, but there are other examples. I think it's an interesting, um, an interesting question. One thing I would kind of like counter it with is the runs that are saved by having a good keeper. Um, I think it was in the Ashes, um, in the Ashes a year and a half ago, Butler made a couple of kind of costly drops behind the stumps and then Smith went on and scored an extra uh, 150 on top of whatever he was when he was dropped by Butler. And that's where I think a proper keeper saves those runs. Um there's a really interesting stat that Butler's not had a test match stumping. And <laughs> I think, one, I think he's got I don't one. think he, I don't think he got one in that first test. Did he? No, he got one in Sri Lanka. He sure. got one in Sri Lanka. Okay. So prior to that, that was his first one. And I think yeah. that that just, just maybe I'll the spin pressure it. of having a good keeper does add an element yeah. of risk. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to kind of, kind of similar to similar. I think, Having an exceptional keeper who can bat. So I think you used Payne in that example as the keeper who can, who's, who's predominantly a keeper, and then Butler as the example of a guy who can bat, who can keep. Um, 
the average difference in test cricket between them is one. So for that extra run a game, would I rather have Tim Payne or T- Josh Butler? I think I'd rather have Tim Payne because as Tim was pointed out, like you want a, a keeper that can take Steve Smith for 20 is far more useful to me than a keeper who may make me an extra 25 runs. Um, Per game, I know that's. I know Joss is out of a tough patch. His average is obviously not a true reflection of his ability, and maybe Tim Payne's had a nicer patch recently. I think the gap between them batting wise is a bit a lot bigger than a run a game, uh, a run in innings. But it was just kind of to highlight that. I don't think it's not like if you were if you were offering me a guy averaging forty five, and can keep, I'd say yeah, fair play, completely. I would go for a batsman who could keep because that's a big change. You can get like a Sagakara, a guy who can bat top three. Whatever, that's a big help to the team. But if it's if it's a difference, if it's like two, three, four runs in an innings on average, is that really worth dropping Coley on three, dropping Smith on seven? Like that that can think, change the whole test match. Yeah, I think what I'd say to that is examples of Richard Pant and, and Josh Butler are they're game changers. They can change the game. You look at Pants, even though they lost that first innings, um, against England where he, he smacked the ball around and got them up to a decent score. Um, ultimately, they lost, obviously, and it was nowhere near enough compared to the 600 or whatever it was that England put on. Um, but having someone who can do that as opposed to, not walking wicket, but you know, someone who doesn't... I think averages, as you go down the order, don't have a huge reflection on the game. Not um, true. On the like actual uh, you know, facts um, and the ability. Um, and, and I'd much rather have Pant and Butler in my team, Dan Folks and Saha. And I'd probably rather have, you know, look at um, Australia, Tim Payne. Okay, if he wasn't captain, I don't think he'd be in the team. I think they'd go with someone like Alex, Alex Kerry. Alex Kerry's class, though. Um, and, and a pretty good batsman. Um, he hasn't been given the shot, obviously, because Payne's there. But I think having someone down there, I mean, the days are gone where you, your keeper averages 45, like someone like um ab de villiers sankara they just couldn't do it because it was they couldn't both be a world-class keeper and a world-class batsman um and ultimately they they gave up to to focus on being a world-class batsman um and like someone like matt Pryor, adam gilchrist um you know hugely influential players down the order because their batting was so good um and they were both part of teams that went to number one in the world um and having that kind of batsman down the order, um, who can like marshal the tail, who who knows exactly how he can counter attack when things go wrong. Um, I think it's really important. Do you think Simo? Yeah. Do you think Simo? Uh, Australia. I know he's captain, so it never happened. But do you think they could potentially give Wade the gloves and get an extra batsman in? Well, I think they could, but I don't think Wade offers much with the bat that Tim Payne doesn't. <laughs> I think, I think it's much for muchness. I think. I think having a specialist wicketkeeper, if he literally offered nothing with the bat, it would be a really, like, a real luxury to have in your team. I think it's almost the same question as of, like, uh, even going back to England, do we bring Moe and Ali in for Don Bess and arguably get a slightly worse spinner, but a slightly better batter? And... And I think you gotta you gotta try you and pick, Murray, um, you pick your best player for each position. Yeah, I think I think in India 
best has the knack of getting wickets. <laughs> he just gets wickets. <laughs> and you can't, you, that is invaluable. You could bowl, <laughs> you could bowl six absolute jaffers and be unlucky and not get a wicket. Whereas best is bowling full tosses and long hops and he gets wickets. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think. And arguably he's just as good a batsman as well. He's, he's pretty solid old Bessie. Um, he's, he's got he's got a good attitude on him. He's good yeah, fun, yeah. I think. How have we got you know the average? Yeah. <laughs> good fun, a good attitude. How have we gone from the start of this podcast to blasting Bess to now saying he's pretty much decent bat and a bowler? Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> I've always been pro Bess. He may bowl 33, uh, 33 full tosses for his wickets, but I've always been pro Bess. Or something. Isn't it? Is he 22, 23? He is quite young. Yes, he is young though. So he's got time, I think. Um, yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, Bess is all right. Uh, time to go back to your keeper thing. Do you think there's any keepers right now apart from Rishabh Pant that you think kind of fit the mold that you'd like to see in in cricket? Just now in, in Test cricket, obviously there's Rishabh Pant. I think Butler's not as good with the bat in Test cricket as he is in white ball and. <laughs> So yeah, I think De Kock actually is an example. He's a class batsman. Um, in white ball, uh, but in I don't know if he's uh, worthy of playing Test cricket. But he's got the ability to again change the game. Um, uh, you, you look at um, back like back in two thousand and nine, two thousand and eleven, when we played Australia. Uh, Brad Haddon, yeah, Haddon's was class. a batsman who would score a hundred. We'd have Australia one hundred and fifty for four. And he'd come in and score a hundred uh, with the tail, basically. Um, but he, he but he wasn't he wasn't a batsman converted to keeper, if that makes sense. Was he? He was. A, no, he was. Was he? No, no, he wasn't. He wasn't. Yeah, yeah, he was but a keeper. He, he was just his batting just improved. Yeah. So my point is that you need your batsman, your wicketkeeper cannot be. Maybe I should explain this better at the start. Um, your wicketkeeper cannot be predominantly a wicketkeeper who can't bat. Okay. Who. who who not can't bat, but is good for is good for a 10, 15, 20. Yeah. A bit like Ken Payton, who who can't seem to score runs. Uh, he's got the odd, but not much more. Um and I think and like Ridiman Saha played in the first test against Australia, I think. Uh he definitely played, I can't remember what he got, not many. Uh and they brought Pant in and he and he changed the game for them. He scored um he still hasn't scored a hundred, I don't think, in Test cricket, but he scored like 90, yeah. 80. Um, won them the game uh, in that last test um, and just has that that extra ability that you need um, to, to really you know, push on and test match cricket is exciting at the end and, and you know you need these players down the order who can still still bat um, and I think you can learn you can easily work on keeping it and Josh Butler is an example of that as well because he's improved his keeping so so much um, especially in the longer format I think uh, following, following on for that then, Simo, for you, would you be more comfortable? Could you make a case for Johnny Bairstow to play instead of Joss? As Johnny's a better, Johnny's a better batsman. I think we'd all probably agree on that. And disagree. Do you disagree yeah, I also that? disagree. Do you disagree? Johnny okay. Does not play Test cricket unless it's in Asia. Where <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, that just takes my question out the window. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, you, you can answer if you like, but I, yeah, I think I think you've answered. There's nothing else. There's nothing yeah, else. Yeah, to yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> Butler every day. Butler yeah. every day. Fair enough. That's just the summer setting you coming in, but um, 
No, that's fair enough. Uh, it was quite an interesting one, Sam, honestly, because it's, I've not really thought about it much. And uh, obviously, the more the game is turning into becoming as versatile as you can. Um, the days of having five solid batsmen, then your keeper at six, a spinner, and then like three bowlers and four bowlers who can't bat to save themselves are definitely gone. Um, and you'll see more and more all-rounders coming into the game. Um, is that a kind of moving on from that then? Do you think it's, would you rather have three out-and-out pace bowlers or would you rather have three Sam Currens or two Sam Currens essentially? Like three world-class top-end bowlers but who can't really bat. Oh yeah, I'd take that over three Sam Currens. <laughs> Okay, well, because it's Sam kind of a bit like Don Betts. He he doesn't all that well, but he has a knack of picking up wickets. Um, and his batting has arguably dropped off quite a lot since his early days of uh, playing. Okay, maybe that's a bad so, example then. Maybe okay, three's Chris Wokes. Uh, Wokes is quite good in England. A bowler. No, that's I, not I a good example. Bowlers. I think yeah. I don't know. Simo, I'd yeah. definitely still take the bowlers. Um, yeah, Simo, what about you? Do you think threes? Well, I think I single-handedly am probably Chris Wokes' biggest fan, so I would take three Chris Wokes' over... <laughs> I'd take three Chris Wokes' over a Joe Root, a, a Hazelwood and a Smith. But um, I think, again, you've got you've got to pick your best... If you're looking for a seam bowler, you pick your best bowler um, mm-hmm. for me. Interesting. Because um, then that goes back to pick your best keeper and if you can yeah. bat you can bat <laughs> I, I, yeah I think I think look it's not it's not your number eight your number nine's job to score a 50 in a test match if it is then they're covering up for something else which has gone wrong in that top six um broad gave a really interesting interview in about November time about the ashes and it was like oh do you think you and Jimmy are going to be able to play in a year and a bit's time you've not had much success in Australia the last couple of times you've gone over there and he said actually if you look at all of the successful teams in Australia they're teams who score five six hundred in that first innings and we've not yeah. done it once and since that 2011 he said yeah didn't really, yeah. yeah since that 2011 and 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 that's that yeah. if you're a team selector, that's kind of what you've got to be trying to focus on, isn't it? You've got I to. Can, I can't remember who it was. Pick a batsman to score and a bowler yeah. to get you a wicket. I'm not expecting Dom Sibley to turn up and get me three <laughs> wickets with his leg breaks. Yeah, that's what something I can't remember who it was. I read it somewhere where they were like, number nine, ten, eleven get a lot of hate because you end up are the ones at the end that are like costing a test match or whatever. But it's like it's literally the same as. Um, needing to get needing to get a wicket and they've got five runs and you give the ball to Alistair Cook to go and bowl you up, bowl the guy out. Like he's not going to do that. That's not his job. But we just live in a world where the batsmen have to bowl. Sorry, the bowlers have to bat. But batsmen don't have to bowl. Um, but I just find it quite quite an interesting analogy. Um, you listen to Tailenders, either of you? I don't know. Have you? Because Jimmy yeah. was fun on that, where he was saying he always tries to ask to bat at ten in a test match because. If you bat at 11, there's a chance. Well, there's a, obviously that you're always going to be the one out there who has to shake the opposition's hands first because <laughs> you're number 11. And he said, there's no worse feeling, even though it's not your fault and you know you're not expected to go out there and score the winning runs or save the draw. Um, n- number 10, you can kind of get away with it because you can get back in the heart or something. <laughs> it's just quite funny. 
interesting. Well, lads, we have been talking for a very long time, so I do need to um, call it there. But honestly, it was really nice having both you, Sam and Simo, on. And I think I'll definitely get you boys back on for a little chat after the series is over in India to see how everything panned out and... We have some predictions because they went so well last time. Yeah, sure. I'm going to... Well, I think you basically said in England are winning 4-0. So, uh, Sam, uh, I have gone for a 2-1 India win. I think think there'll be a draw in there and then I think India will come through. Uh, And I think George said something similar. I think he said 1-1... I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go two one England. Wow, well, not biased at all, go, lads. I'm gonna go three one England. Just to... <laughs> well, we've got to we've got to make it interesting. <laughs> you've you've taken two one to India. I don't really want to see two draws in the last three games. I'm definitely not going to say three one. So therefore, it's got to be a two one England. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. And who's going to score more runs from this point to the end? Root or Coley? Uh, well, I uh, will say Roots, but I also predicted that Smith would get no runs in the last ashes. Yeah. <laughs> Probably means Cody's going to score. Yeah, I, I, think, I, think, I think they'll both score a very similar number of runs, to be honest. Um, if you go from now, mm. I think, I think, um, I, I mean, if Root hits another double hundred in the series, it's pretty if, if he hits another double hundred, I'll put them in a fab four again, but not yet. He's still, he's still, he's still outside what looking in from the window. <laughs> it's Coley's going to score more runs for me. I'd much rather look like an idiot in four weeks' time yeah, because I said Coley and then Joe Root scored three back to back double centuries. Same <laughs> route and Coley's gone and scored 700, <laughs> averaging 700. And yeah. then think, oh God. So definitely Coley. Yeah, 100%. He's, he's, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, lear- he's learned from Sam's mistakes saying Smith was going to have a bad series um, so thank you guys honestly lads and I'll get you back on but that is the end of the cricket podcast I think next week we are back on some Six Nations rugby so that'll be um, that'll be fun stuff but thank you very much <laughs>